Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. Each week, I speak with someone from the uh, worldwide Movember community who's passionate about changing the face of men's health to make sure you never miss an episode. Just subscribe to the show on iTunes or the podcast app of your choice or MovemberRadio.com. I'd ask you this week, just help us out, rate and comment on the show in the iTunes store. It really uh, gives the show a boost or just tell a mate. My guest this week is Richie McCaw, who's the current captain of the national New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks. Now, they are revered all around the world and seen as almost superhuman by their countrymen. The All Blacks, they play a dominating game and they head into the 2015 Rugby World Cup as current champions. Now, as this show does go all around the world, but you might never have seen a game of international rugby, so just take a moment, take two minutes, uh, go YouTube yourself, a clip of the all-black haka, H-A-K-A. Go on. I'll wait. You back? Okay, cool. Now you know who we're talking to today. We are going to talk about the pressures and expectations of being captain of the All Blacks. Richie talks about how he builds into his life ways of managing the stress of the job and that how asking someone if they're okay not only takes courage but might just be the thing to have them open up about their struggles. Richie is no stranger to struggle himself after suffering a devastating concussion in 2004, which set off a series of other issues. Today, Richie shares with us his very personal story of how he took action to look after himself and those around him. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Richie McCaw. So we've got a lot of people listening from all around the world today. So... If, if we could paint the picture, as a kid, when you were a little kid, when did you first become aware of, of what it was to be an All Black? Uh, when I first went to primary school, I went to primary school with about 24, 25 kids, and uh, that's all they talked about at lunchtimes, and that was rugby. So I learnt from about five that uh, what rugby is all about. And then probably about age six or seven, when the All Blacks won the World Cup in 87, uh, I remember watching it on TV, and... I think from that point on, uh, well, a lot of uh, Kiwi kids, you know, being an All Blacks, the dream, and uh, you know, for it never become reality seemed pretty far off. But uh, you know, been able to do that for the last fifteen years. What do what does an, when you're a kid? What do All Blacks represent as as men to you? 
Well, traditionally, All Blacks have always been, you know, from all parts of the country, and a lot of a lot of them traditionally used to be farmers. You know, the big strong men who, uh, you know, back in the amateur days, where you didn't train, you know, you, you had other jobs. They come from the farm, probably got their training from running around the farm, chasing sheep and uh, lifting fence posts, all that sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, All Blacks sort of represented, I, I suppose, to a lot of Kiwis what a, what a good Kiwi bloke was, you know, big, rugged, tough, tough man. So it's all changed a little bit now because, you know, there's not many farmers uh, play for the All Blacks these days because it's professional, but uh, that's sort of what it represented. And I think now it's changed a little bit, but it still represents probably what uh, most Kiwi blokes, uh, you know, the, the guys that play for the All Blacks are just normal Kiwi blokes who... You know, do a lot of rugby, and that's quite a cool thing, I think. Now, how old were you when? And sorry, how old were you? And who was the first person to tell you that? You know, Richie, this is a, uh, this is possible. You could do this. I never really thought it was going to be a realistic goal or dream, or whatever, until um, I left uh, school and I, I managed to get myself into the New Zealand Under 19s. And uh, Mark Shaw, Cowboy Shaw, who was a bit of a hard man in the 80s for the All Blacks. When uh, he gave us out our jerseys for the first game, he said, you know, you're, you're the best in the country at under-19 level. There's no reason why you can't be an all-black. And it was about that point that the, it became, instead of a dream, it actually became maybe it's a goal that's slightly realistic. So I, I, I suppose that was the thing. And rugby had only been professional for three or four years at that point. So uh, it wasn't really something that you, know, you grew up at school thinking that's my job, that could be my job. I think... To be captain of the All Blacks, this this team that's so steeped in so much, you know, so much in, in the eyes of, of a nation, it's probably as close that as any human's going to get to being a superhero in the eyes of a community. <laughs> to be the uh, to be the captain of that team. Yeah, that, that's it. Like being an All Blacks, just you know, thing you ever dream of doing. But uh, I suppose once you're there, um, you know, one of the things I remember being told early on is, you know. There's no point just being an All Black. You might as well try and be, you know, you get there, be a good one or a great one. And and I guess with that, you know, you you want to want the team to do well and and do well for it. And uh, I really enjoyed um, contributing to that. And um, but the opportunity still to be the captain of uh, this team, uh, it, it still you still pinch yourself now that you know they actually uh, are in that situation. You know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it. And uh, you know, you could walk around with a big heavy weight on your shoulders, but it's a, a pretty cool thing to, to stand in the, a circle before you run out of the test match with the, some of the best players in the world uh, and, and well, I think you can give some directions to them or help them or do your bit, but, uh, you know, you're just one of the boys in the team, but, uh, you know, you ensure that the team functions, and that's what's pretty cool. That's inside the team, though, but as far as the general population is concerned, as the country is concerned, as far as like a New Zealander anywhere in the world is concerned, there's so much adulation but also expectation placed upon your shoulders. How do you handle that? Uh, yeah, I guess there is. There's, there's no doubt about that, like the expectation that the team performs every week. Uh, you know, there's that there. That, that could, that's a thing that keeps you on your game, I think. It keeps you sharp, that you can't just sit back and think we've got it mastered. But it's uh, you always remember it as a privilege, and uh, you know sometimes uh, it can feel a bit. You know, you get yourself when you have a loss or something. You think, jeepers, you know, it's sometimes it gets a bit unfair, the criticism, whatever. But you know, if someone said to me, uh, when you feel like that, uh, we'll take it all away from you. You'd go, hell no, um, I, I love what I do, and and the upsides are 
uh, pretty pretty awesome. You know, we uh, walk yeah walk down the street after a good All Black one, and everyone's giving you a pat on the back. You know, um, that's uh, it's a pretty cool feeling. It still must be a lot of pressure. How do you how do you release the pressure? How do you get away from the pressure of the from, of the job? I think there's probably a couple of things. Is uh, like I've got a good bunch of mates that, uh, from outside of uh, rugby. You know, they treat you normal, just like all my other mates. Um, so I've always made sure I keep in good contact with them and they keep your feet on the ground, you know. They, they do that pretty easily by just giving you a bit of stick like you, like you do. Um, so that's one way that I, I do. And uh, the second way is um, a thing to just get away from it. I'm, I'm quite passionate about flying. I've got my uh, helicopter and aeroplane licence and glider actually and uh, my family are right into it and it's a completely different bunch of people you mix with and they're all passionate about that and they uh they get so worried about the rugby they they obviously follow it but you end up just talking about airplanes and something you got in common which i really enjoy and as i say with all my family being involved in it uh yeah when i go home to the folks for feed or something you know they uh i talk to the old man more about flying than i do about rugby <laughs> so i'm guessing that when you're aloft in a glider with no engine you'd have to you have to be pretty good at keeping you keeping your cool Exactly. Like I remember someone a few years ago said, "Well, you know, is there any similarities between uh, rugby and, and gliding?" I was like, "No." And then I was actually speaking to a, uh, one of the top glider pilots around. He said, "Well, one thing that you get is, is quite a good situation awareness. You're out in the rugby field. You're under pressure. You've got to make decisions and and know what's going on around you. And, and you've got to be like that in a glider. You know, when you got to think about the weather, you got to think about where you are in relation to the ground and where you're going to go next. You know, I suppose is." You could probably uh, draw a bit of log bow, but find some similarities there. But um, yeah, keeping yourself alive as opposed to uh, just working out how to win a game is a little bit different. <laughs> but it must be so peaceful without an engine up there. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's peaceful in a way, like you're a beautiful scenery. You know, that's what's great about New Zealand, the the Southern Alps and stuff. Flying around the mountains is pretty awesome. But it's not just a matter of floating around. You actually got to be quite on the job in terms of thinking what next, where to go next. And but it, uh, you see, you come back pretty tired after a day out, but uh, but it's pretty exhilarating, I think, and that's the the thrill I get out of it. From playing under 19s and on in your career, I'd imagine the whole time you and your teammates would have had fairly good relationships with your doctors. Things about like ankles and shoulders and, and knees. But what about what about headspace? Uh, you did right. Like we, we learned pretty quickly that you got to look after your body, and I think as you get older, you know about how much better you can do it. You, you just realise that you take for granted when you're younger that you recover from things. But like I, I've seen through my three years, and and it's actually through our players' association and uh, the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, where it's probably not well. It will be obviously within rugby, but the guys that leave rugby, you know, about my age now in their thirties. Yeah, the, the mental space and the understanding that uh, has become a real thing that we've put a lot of focus onto because, you know, you think big, strong men, you know, I think the traditional thing is, you know, they're living the dream type thing. How could they ever have any issues? But the one the one person that's obviously made a, um, a, a quite a uh, impact is uh, John Kerwin who wrote the book about depression, about when he was an all-black, how he suffered from it. And I think it's opened a lot of, got, a lot of people's eyes as to, you know, just because you've got things sorted in a physical sense, you know, doesn't mean you, you're happy doing what you're doing. And, and I think uh, the more we go on, the more we realise that uh, rugby players especially are just like uh, general population, that there's some people that suffer. And, uh, you know, 
being able to talk about it's uh, pretty key. Yeah, it really, really doesn't discriminate. Doesn't doesn't really care how big you are, does it? No, and uh, yeah, things from the outside could look all sweet and you've got it all under control, but uh, you know, someone could be uh, having all sorts of uh, issues for all sorts of different reasons. And I know a lot of people reading John Kerwin's book, for example, uh, it gave them the courage to actually seek some help. You know. I don't think we're any good at it yet, don't get me wrong, but uh, certainly there's been a bit more understanding or a bit more awareness that not everyone does have it sorted. Have you seen this sort of thing? Have you seen blokes close to you deal with this sort of stuff? Yep, I've uh, probably not so much in a rugby sense, uh, guys I've played with, but uh, there's definitely guys go through highs and lows, and you know the, the ups and downs you get as a professional rugby player can be quite exaggerated. You know, you can have some extreme highs and great times but when your form goes off and there's a bit of criticism and maybe something's not right at home you, you certainly see guys that, that, that struggle and you know we just put it down to sometimes oh you're just going through a bad patch and, and as people do and I've got had friends that certainly in the um, outside of rugby that you hear of uh, I think it's latter you look back and they say oh, look I've been through a bad patch and you think geez oh, how did I not see that you know but uh, you know, I suppose we all sort of put a head in the sand at times but um, you know, I, I know certainly uh, as I got a bit older I've become a bit more aware of some things and it's still a question of, of what do you do if you do see that or you feel it yourself and I think that's what's uh, you know the awareness is, is great that it's uh, obviously trying to bit, you know, increase it. So what do you do if you see a mate like that now? Well I think um, <clears throat> I just think of one example you know I was actually asked some of the other mates who are friends like are you seeing the same things I'm seeing? And then, actually, uh, if, if you are, I'd actually go and speak to them. You know, sometimes you can be pretty staunch to your mates. You don't want to show weaknesses and stuff. But I've got mates that, you know, we give each other plenty of stick and, you know, telling each other hard enough and all that. But my good friends I know, uh, and, I, and I've seen it, you know, we actually go and say, hey, look, I wouldn't mind having a chat. They, uh, you know, you help each other out. That's what friends do. And uh, sometimes it just takes the courage to break that but break that ice and I've had a discussion to a couple of guys and uh, you know they still say yeah well things aren't that good at the moment may not be to the point of you know terribly depressed but certainly you know just when you're down it, or things aren't going your way just to have a chat about it can be make quite a difference absolutely we talked a little about injuries before as a professional rugby player injuries that we expected but sometimes they they can take you out for part of a season sometimes they can threaten your entire career how do you deal with it when you're sidelined when does it ever get any easier? Uh, the, the big thing I've learned is actually have a plan in place to how you're going to get to the point of well, either back playing or, or fit again. Um, but if you meander along, you know, sometimes you keep thinking, oh, I'm no better today than I was yesterday. Um, you know, that can build up and be you get yourself into a hole. And I actually went through a situation that back in 2004, I had a concussion, which... To be honest, it was uh, bad enough. Obviously, concussion's not, not a good thing, but um, it was no worse than some people that recover quite quickly. But I started to doubt myself and went on for a couple of weeks, and then I got myself in a loop where I was just, people were always asking, that frustrated me, and I got really short and, uh, and with people, and it wasn't until I... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Sort of got myself back playing. I looked back and I was actually in a bit of a dark space, you know. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk to anyone. But I was, yeah, as I say, short to people, even my family and that, you know, you got a bit short and they sort of in a funny way, they were a bit worried too, but they didn't want to say anything. And uh, as I say, I look back on it and go, wow, you know, that could have, uh, you know, that was a very nice place to be. So I think what I learned from that is actually talking to the right people. So like the, how are you going to, you know, doctor or whatever, and actually put a plan in place and put trust in those people, which, uh, you know, for subsequent injuries has certainly been a big positive for me. Unless you're a, a, well, like a golfer, no one can really play professional sport forever. So <laughs> what have you seen? You mentioned a bit earlier about the Players Association. What have you seen blokes go through who are transitioning out of their playing careers and how has that made you think about your, yourself when that time comes for you? Um, I, I think the big thing that you see is often – for for a rugby player, for example, is their identity or you know who they are is pretty pretty uh, tied into being a rugby player, playing on TV, those sort of things, and you get a lot of your positive sort of feelings from that. Uh, all of a sudden, that's taken away. Where you know, I say people don't care, but you don't get told where to be. You're not part of a team. We uh, rely on each other, and all of a sudden, you're out on your own, thinking, "What next?" I think people perhaps don't prepare themselves for it. I think some people think that because they're financially secure, everything's going to be okay, but that doesn't equate automatically to that. And uh, we've, as a players association, have started to have a lot of people, you know, start to put their hand up and ask for help, you know, as to just to get their life in some sort of order. And uh, I just know in my situation that I've got a bit of an idea about what I might do or how I'm going to do it, but the big thing I'm trying to prepare myself for, get my head around, is understanding there's going to be, even if I know it's coming, how I'm going to handle times where, you know, you do miss it and you feel uh, a bit like, what next? And no one sort of cares or no one's telling you where to be or how to do things. Uh, and not saying that's going to go away, but realise I'm going to have times like that and, and know you've got some people that you can chat to and I think that's where your mates are pretty important but also as I say uh, people in, the, in our players association uh, you know a network there that uh, I think is pretty important and 
know, there's people going through the same thing, and sometimes you know, being able to chat to them of their experiences is a pretty, a pretty big positive, I think. Sounds like you, you certainly have a lot of conversations with people around you already, like as part of your MO. Oh, I think so. I think that's what I've learned. As a young player uh, coming in, I, you know, you think you're bulletproof, and uh, you, I actually saw some older players that you know, st- you know, started to look at how they. Uh, you know how they were as a probably from a mental space uh, where they were at, and I used to sort of laugh at that and go, "Oh, just get on and play." You know, it's all pretty good what we're doing. But as you mature a little bit, I think you you learn a bit more about yourself and you learn a bit more about the challenges that come for well, not just rugby players, but everyone in life. And um, and actually, the, the one of the best things I've realised is talking to other people that have the same sort of things. It actually takes a bit of a weight off your shoulders that. Um, it's pretty normal to go through patches like that, and you know you can learn on along the way. Bits that ways it'll help, and um, I think that's been one of the biggest learnings I've had. Mate, you've obviously done an enormous amount of work yourself to get where you are. But what role have your friends and your family had in your career? Uh, I've been hugely lucky with my uh, close family, especially the support I had from them has has been pretty phenomenal. Um, so you know when you do have a rough game or a rough patch you know they don't judge you or whatever not and conversely when you start to get a bit carried away with yourself your mates uh are there no matter whether you had a good game or a bad game they'll give you the truth but that's what you want because they they don't treat you any different to the other friends and i think that's what i really appreciate is um they still treat you as normal you know i think sometimes sport especially uh you know, the ones that have high profile, you know, people can start living an, an unreal sort of life in terms of uh, get a bit carried away with things. But I've got a good bunch of mates that make sure that doesn't happen. And uh, I think that keeps you pretty grounded. Mate, you're part of a very, very exclusive club uh, as an All Black. And as an All Black, you have something that and anyone who's ever watched a rugby match will know what I'm talking about. To have done a hucker before an international match... <laughs> For those of us who will never, ever, ever get to experience it, do you recall the first hucker you, you you performed in front of a packed stadium? Well, you kind of, I do, yeah. But one thing growing up as a uh, young fella, like oh, that's probably the first thing I learned was how to do the hucker before I learned how to play the game as, as a six or seven-year-old. So you sort of practice all your life to, to do it. Um, and then at school, you know, we have not so much the all-black hucker, but we all, the first 15s do hackers to each other. So it becomes quite the norm. But I've got to say, the, the hair standing up on the back of your neck, the first time I got to do it, uh, it was actually for the New Zealand under-19s, the first time I got to do it. That was what I was more excited about almost than playing the game, is being able to do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get yourself that pumped up that you've you got to remind yourself that that actually doesn't uh, give any points on the scoreboard. It's uh, it's what happens afterwards. But it's it's a unique thing that I think all Kiwis, you know, uh, whatever your backgrounds, are pretty proud of. And you know, it's great to be able to do it. It must it must get you in some mindset for the game. I, I guess it does. Like when people ask, you know, is it an unfair advantage or whatever? <laughs> um, I, I actually don't think it is because I, I know it's like facing it. It gets you pretty pumped up when you see guys what they're going to do, but or what you think they might do. But, it, you know, you have a lot of countries, you know, very passionate about where they come from and the, the anthem's hugely emotional. I, I'd probably say, uh, you know, yeah, anthem, um, obviously you're proud of it, but it's, it, I'd put the haka in the same boat as, you know, people with the anthem has been, it's almost like another part of the anthem. That, that's the way it feels. So 
Um, yeah, it looks a bit scary probably at times, but that's the sort of feeling you get out of it is just proud of where you come from and, uh, you know, who you are. Mate, you've obviously had some incredible moments playing for your country. Is there anything in particular that stands out? I guess, well, there's probably an obvious one. When we had the World Cup here um, four years ago, like that was pretty special, obviously, to win it. But we, we live we were in a bit of a bubble when that was going on and, you know, trying to get that sorted. And obviously winning it was pretty awesome. But it was we did a couple of parades around the country uh, afterwards and how much... Yeah, what you did for out in the rugby field meant to all Kiwis to to puff their chest out and be proud of being a Kiwi. That that was the time it really hit me what you actually do and how you can influence you know people. You know, send them off to work on a Monday with a big smile on their face just because we went, you know, played well on, on the rugby field. That and and knowing you have an impact that way uh, is is pretty special. So I guess that time uh, four years ago, uh, not only winning from uh, that point of view, but uh, what what everyone got to enjoy around the World Cup was pretty awesome. Sport is, people like it because it's got a binary outcome. You win or you lose, that's it. Have there, has there been a loss, ever been a loss that's absolutely, absolutely flawed you and, and how did you come back from it stronger? Uh, well, probably four years previous when the All Blacks got beaten in the quarterfinal of the World Cup in France. Um, I was in Cardiff where we played the game. That was a pretty tough loss, but I've got to say... Um, I look back now after what happened four years later, you'd probably say that, that in 2011 uh, it meant so much more having gone through the bit of disappointment of uh, not achieving what you wanted to. Um, so I just remember after that, uh, you know, you start questioning yourself and wondering whether you're the right person for the job. Obviously, I was captain and you take responsibility uh, for what happens. But I sort of I remember getting to a point, you, you had a choice, you either just took your lessons on board and, and back yourself to, to to be better. You don't become a bad player just because of one game. Or you sort of just say, well, this isn't for me. I'm, uh, I'm a failure. I, I'm going to go and do something else. And I, the, you know, the way I am, uh, the bigger the challenge, the more I sort of get excited for it. And um, So, you know, that was probably one of the toughest losses to deal with, but also one of the best learning or, or made the next uh, four years uh, you know, worth it. Now, not everybody who's listening is going to run out onto a rugby field and, and face the French or the English or something like that. But everyone's got their everyone's got their own challenges, and everyone deals with pressure and, and high stakes in their own lives. What would you say to them? What have you learned about dealing with those situations? I, I guess one of the big things is is what can I can control? That's the question I ask. Um, and and then if you can't control it, well putting a lot of energy and worry into it uh, doesn't get you far, probably just gets you into a further hole. Um, so you, you put it in a rugby context, you know, I can't control um, what the referee's going to do or I can't control what the opposition are going to do. What I can control is how we play the game or how we prepare. So, you know, you can sit there for a game worried about oh, what who's playing or whatever, but actually the best thing to worry about is what I can do. So that's one of the things. And the other one is uh, dealing facts rather than feelings you know in terms of uh, everything feels like it's wrong and actually so on a rugby field you know it feels like you can't get anything right but if you actually say well what are the facts well the facts are this this and this isn't right so can I fix that well yes I can whereas when you just sit there thinking everything's wrong and feeling terrible about it well we, we hang and find solutions so that's a, a in a rugby context and I, I think you can probably uh, put that into a 
other parts of your life too is, is what what can I actually do myself to alter something or do rather than worry about what everyone else is doing that's causing you to be in the looking at things the way you are so I, I think that's uh, probably a couple of things I've learned over the years that have helped me out a lot pretty solid advice mate I'm not going to lie <laughs> both those things are pretty good yeah, so uh, how 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 did you come to get involved with Movember? What was it about Movember that interested you? Well, I, I, my old mate, uh, Robert Dunn, who's running Movember New Zealand, we, uh, he's a good mate of mine, and uh, he obviously got on board. And uh, to be honest, didn't know a lot about it until he started explaining to me what uh, Movember stood for. And uh, as I say, through my years of uh, you know playing rugby, um, everything hit home to me about uh, you know what the money's raised for is, is the way Kiwis are and the way blokes are. Uh, raising awareness to have people to make it okay to say you've got some issues or you know go and make sure it's not too late or down the track when you uh, find out you've got problems uh, with health so uh, I just thought it was uh, brilliant and um, you know if you can touch a, a few people that uh, you know end up in a better space well that's got to be a great thing. Unreal, man. Unreal. So we end these interviews, I ask the same three questions. When it comes to Movember, what kind of moustache do you grow? <laughs> uh, last year I grew the, had the handlebars, but uh, I actually went for a flight with the Royal Air Force and uh, I had to shave it down to the slug. And uh, I tell you what, it, uh, I had the full flying kit on, so it looked pretty apt actually. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of conversations do you have when people see the moustache during Movember? When you when you're running with the handlebars, they actually know you're uh, doing it for a reason. But when you're running just a, a straight slug, they actually look at you and go, "Are you being serious, or is that actually for a, a cause?" So you can sort of got to explain that. But um, yeah, as, as I say, uh, um, you know, I had to run out in front of eighty thousand people with uh, with the mo uh, against the Welsh in uh, November, which uh, you know all the photos now you see, you can pick out exactly what game it was. I tell you. <laughs> Must have been awesome though. In my opinion, mate, sport was always better with beards and moustaches. Always. Exactly. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a throwback to the eighties where pretty much eighty percent of the team all had the uh, had the mows. Yeah, awesome. If you could pick up your phone and, and, and call eighteen year old Richie, what would you say to him? Oh hell, that's a good question. Uh that uh you're gonna have a lot of fun going forward, but um you know, some of the lessons I have now of looking after myself, so probably from a physical point of view, some of the lessons I learnt, I'd be given some advice on uh, so that when I roll out of bed uh, in the mornings, I'm not quite as, feel quite as uh, broken as I do at times. <laughs> and what is most important to you about your mates? Your mates treat you uh, the same no matter what. And, uh, you know, we, we, we keep each other's feet on the ground pretty firmly, which is a, a great thing. Unreal. Mate, all the very, very best for the World Cup up ahead. Um, thank you. And thank you so, so much for joining us on the show today, mate. It really means a lot. Uh, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. That was Richie McCaw. If you like the show, please leave a comment and a rating in the iTunes store or simply just show a friend how to download podcasts, get them to listen to this one. You can find us on Facebook by searching Movember and for other episodes, check out movemberradio.com or find us in your favorite podcasting app of choice. Movember Radio is produced by myself, Osher Ginsberg and Molly Hindeman. Music by Toe Hider and audio production on this episode was by Lotta Haig. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.